Praise the Lord. Thank you, team. Some of you old-timers like me may remember the late Roy Ludwig, after whom we named the prayer chapel. Roy was a layman, but he was renowned as a faithful Bible teacher, very popular Bible teacher. He often told, in fact, he introduced me to Marty Johnson 32, three years ago. Roy often taught parents and grandparents, saying that ensure the passing of a spiritual legacy to your children before you pass on to them a financial legacy. Well, I know that in my own heart resonated with Roy's teaching because uh, having escaped the country of my birth at a very young age, um, I had no financial legacy left to me. But I received a huge spiritual legacy from my mother and before her, her father, my grandfather. My grandfather was also a layman, not a preacher. He was a building contractor. And toward the end of his life, he built a high-rise where giving one floor in that high-rise building to each one of his sons. And yet he reserved only a small apartment for himself with his oldest son. My earliest recollection was around the age of nine or ten of my grandfather. And that's when I went to spend the night with my cousins. I've always been a, late, a, a light sleeper. <laughs> Obviously, God had a purpose for, for that, even from my young age. I was always a light sleeper. So you can imagine how startled I was that night I was spending with my cousins to hear a voice uh, so audibly clear in the middle of the night. I kept quiet. <laughs> Somebody else is home. And a couple of hours later, same voice again. Well, by that time, I woke up my cousin. I said, there's somebody in the house. There's somebody in the house. He said, go to sleep. It's your grandfather praying. <laughs> they got used to it. And as I listened very carefully, I began to hear him just praising the Lord, blessing the Lord, using the Psalms, uh, reciting the Psalms, and, and praising God. He goes to sleep a couple of hours later, wakes up. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, one winter, his daughter-in-law said to him, she said, it's going to be a cold winter. They're predicting this year. I want to give you an extra blanket. He said, no, it will make me too warm, and I won't wake up and praise the Lord. My young mind at the time began to wonder, is praising God because He's got so many blessings? He's just overwhelmed with the blessings of God. He can't wait to wake up in the middle of the night. Then I remembered that he lost 
two sons during World War II. The young man in their 20s. He lost his own wife at a relatively young age, and he remained a widower the rest of his life. At the age of 88, he lost his oldest daughter, my mother, at the age of 55. But until he died at the age of 92, he rose up several times during the night to bless the Lord, to praise the Lord, and to thank the Lord for His grace and for His mercy. Now I understood what gave him joy in the midst of his crushing circumstances, what gave him victory, what gave him uh, triumph in the middle of his sorrow, personal sorrow. Certainly was not the wonderful things and circumstances that he was, had faced in his life. That's for sure. I also know now that he left his greatest legacy, that he passed on to his daughter, which passed on to me. In the last message, we commenced this new series of messages of experiencing triumph through praise. And we saw how God is present everywhere. He's omnipresent, but God's specially present in a unique way, as we saw from Psalm 22, in, in the life of a praise-filled believer. Today, I want to show you how the praise-filled life can change us and can change us for good. Why am I saying this? Listen carefully. Because praising God is the one thing that you and I will do that lines us up with the courts of heaven. Praise is the one thing that we do that um, puts us in the same posture as the angels of heaven. Praising God is the one thing we do here on earth that puts us in agreement with the, what's going on in heaven. Revelation 5.12 tells us that in heaven they are constantly praising Jesus and saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, and glory, and praise. I say amen belongs here. You see, the angels and the believers who have gone ahead of us, all the believers have gone ahead of us, right now with the angels are praising Jesus. And when you and I praise the name of the Lord, first thing when you wake up in the morning, we are literally aligning ourselves with them. Listen to me. <laughs> when you and I die and get buried in the ground, our praises are not going to be buried with us. They're going to keep on rising forever and ever and ever in heaven. Our praises to God will never die with us. They'll never die. Here's the thing that troubles me the most. It's a sad thing, and I'm sure it troubles you, that all this greatest lie that's perpetuated on our culture, in our culture, in our society, particularly in the West, you see it in the movies and on television, that when, when everyone, when they die, they all go to heaven. I want to say, wait a minute. They can't spend two minutes of praising Jesus here on earth. How in the world are they going to praise Him 24-7? Just think about the logic of that. Listen, I want to be upfront with you. I always am. 
developing the praise-filled life demands change. It demands change in us. It demands it. And you and I know change is not easy. I know that. Most people don't want to change. Most people don't want to make an effort. They don't want to go to trouble. Most people just prefer their comfort zone and their routine. In fact, a number of years ago, I heard about a lady who had developed hypochondria into a fine art. You know what I'm talking about. She supposedly constantly suffered from a variety of exotic ailments. All of her ills were designed to draw attention, <laughs> basically draw sympathy for, to her. Two of her dearest friends who have done everything for her, really sweet, sweet, sweet uh, two ladies, um, they've done everything to lift up her spirits, but to no avail. They encouraged her to lift up her eyes and look to Jesus to no avail. They encouraged her to just count her blessings and encouraged her to remember the good things that God has done, but they failed. And one day, the two ladies, the two friends were talking to each other, and one said to the other, didn't the doctor give her new medication? And the other one said, yes. And she said, is, is, is she taking it? And the other said, no, she's afraid it might work. <laughs> well, I had to admit to you right up front that change is not easy. I know that. But here's the good news. Praise works. The praise-filled life works. But you have to try it. You have to practice it. You have to exercise it because praise will change you and it's going to change you for good because praise will change your life. Praise will change your attitude. Trust me, praise will change your relationships. Praise will change your perspective, your sensitivities, and even your desires. Someone may ask, well, Michael, how does a praise-filled life change my attitude? How can that be? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> but before I answer, and I'm not going to duck the question, but before I, I answer, I want you to know that I'm aware of the fact that there are some people just have a pleasant disposition, and others are cantankerous. I'm not going to ask you to say an amen. <laughs> But I, I really do. I mean, listen, I live long enough to know. I've seen people just, just naturally have a pleasant. But you know what? If you dig deep and find out why that person by nature has a pleasant disposition, you're going to find that person has a grateful heart, is a thankful person. Test me on this one. <laughs> but the question remains, how can a praise-filled life going to change my attitude? Ah, because when you take time to praise the Lord on a daily basis, most likely and most, most certainly has to be first thing in the morning, you're going to find that it is nearly impossible for you to harbor anger, bitterness, resentment, or hatred 
when you take time to praise the Lord on a daily basis, to praise the goodness of God, the mercy of God, and the attributes of God, you'll soon discover that negative spirit toward others and the positive spirit toward the Lord God cannot coexist. One is going to give up, and I know which one is going to disappear. At least it's not for a long time. Listen, your praise may start sluggish. I know, I'm very sluggish. And just, but you start anyway. Just move your lips. The Holy Spirit will fill them. Just, just keep moving your lips. You, you keep blessing God. <laughs> I know it might start not, not, not with a joyful attitude. and You're not on top of the world. I understand that. It's fine. But it may start very reluctant even. But as you persist in praise, the spirit of praise is going to lift you up. Why? Because as we saw in the last message, your praise is an invitation to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus, not only to come and indwell you uniquely, but when the Spirit of Jesus comes and dwells in you uniquely in the, in the praise, he, His rule is going to come and reign supreme. At that moment, you're going to become loving, forgiving, and even praying for those who spitefully use you. Now, beloved, listen to me. I have experienced this too many times to doubt it. I've experienced it too many, and I know many of you have too. As I open my mouth to honor the Lord for who He is, as I bless the Lord for the glorious things He has done, as I thank God for His grace and for His mercy and for His long-suffering with me, as I praise God for past provisions, as I bless God for past healings, I find myself uplifted from my current situation. Well, at least one person is testifying here. <laughs> but listen, you don't have to take my word for it. I'm a flawed man. I'm probably more conscious of that than anybody. I'm flawed. I'm a, f- a flawed person. But you don't have to take my word for it. Take the Word of God for it, okay? I just want you to take God's Word for it. So I want you to turn to Isaiah 61. If you don't have your Bible, if you have your iPad, just type Isaiah 61. iPhone, it's okay. You can use it. We have Wi-Fi here. So it's not going to cost you anything. Thanks to Richard. He lets us have Wi-Fi. Thank you, Richard. (laughs) As you're finding it, as you're looking into it, Isaiah 61, it is a prophecy about the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a magnificent prophecy because it took place, it happened, it's pronounced 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ came into Bethlehem of Judea. As a matter of fact, you don't have to go to it now, but mark it down, Luke chapter 4. In fact, I have never taken groups to Israel without teaching on Luke 4, 
Because in Luke 4, what does the Lord Jesus do? He goes to his local church. Well, they call that synagogue. And he sits down. That's what they did when they read the Scripture. They say, he, sat, he sits down, and they bring the scroll. And what does the Lord do? He reads Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the, the prison door to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Look at verse 3, coming up, verse 3, Isaiah 61. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who mourn in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Now, here comes the clincher. Here comes the clincher. Are you reading it with me? Here comes the clincher. I want to show it to you demonstrably. You found it? And the garment of praise, the garment of praise, instead of the spirit of despair. By the way, this is a garment of praise. It was given to me as a gift by the pastors in Beirut, Lebanon, when I conducted an evangelistic outreach there a few years ago. Now, in your Bible, I want you to highlight, and you can do that even in your iPad and your iPhone, highlight a garment of praise. It's the garment as war and celebrations. I must tell you a couple of things about the garment of praise. You must understand, first of all, the garment of praise is not something you're born with. Can you say that with me? It is not something you're born with. Come on. So the second thing about the garment of praise, it is something you put on. Can you say put on? And the third thing is the garment of praise is not good, folded, or hanging in the closet. It's not good to you. And the fourth thing I want to tell you is the garment of praise is something you choose to put on. You choose. You choose. You choose. You choose to put on. When it comes to the garment of praise, listen to me. It is something that is given to you. It's like this garment of praise was given to me. It's given to you. It is something that is offered to you. And because of that, <laughs> it now belongs to you. It's now available to you. It is now at your beck and call. 
But here's the clincher. No one, no one, no one can wear it for you. In other words, no one can praise God for you. They may thank God for you, <laughs> but they can't do the praises that you must do. You have to choose the praise-filled life. You have to make a decision, and a decision by nature, you're going to cut other things when you make one, one side or the other. You have to decide. Hear me right, please. This is important. True praise is the river that flows out of your heart, and that river is fed by your gratitude to God and thankfulness to God and praise to God. Here's something I hope you'll never forget. Don't ever forget what I'm going to tell you. From God's point of view, He has given us a zillion reasons why to praise Him. Can I get an amen? He's given us a zillion reasons why to praise Him. And furthermore, He does give us the desire to praise Him. And wouldn't you know it? <laughs> because he gets blessed by your praises, he blesses you back. Isn't that an amazing God we have? Isn't that an amazing God we have? But you're the one who has to do the praising. You're the one who must wrap yourself up with the garment of praise. You have to do it. And you have to do it on a daily basis. You're the one who must keep that garment of praise 24-7. Question, does this mean that you never be tempted to take off the garment of praise? Of course not. Temptations come to all of us. But every time the enemy of your soul offers you a garment of despair, what you do you overwhelm him with the garment of praise. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Every time you, he tempts you to put on the garment of discouragement under the guise of just being realistic, you put on the garment of praise, and you keep on wearing it. And you keep on wearing it. And let me tell you something. After you get used to wearing silk, Hessian will not feel good. But there's something else I need to tell you about the garment of praise. Sorry, folks, if my Lebanese friends watching on Kingdom Sat, I just want to thank you for that. Something else. Our Lord Himself, listen carefully. This is not Michael. This is not a preacher, evangelist, or a theologian. The, the Lord Himself, the Lord Himself, is the one who contrasts the garment of praise with the spirit of despair. The one who made us, the one who redeemed us, the one who loved us, the one who died on the cross for us. He is the one who makes that comparison. 
The Lord Himself does that. And in the Old Testament, and I know you've heard me teach about this before, when a person is experiencing utter despair, it leads them to tear up their garment, literally ripping the fabric as a sign of deep sorrow. The ripping of the fabric is a sign of the ripping of their hearts and how they are heartbroken is a sign of being emotionally torn by sadness. Let me give you some biblical examples of the tearing of the fabric is a symbol of the tearing of the heart. That's why Joel, now preaching Joel earlier this year, you know, he said, tear your hearts, not your garments. For example, you find in 2 Samuel chapter 13, Tamar, the daughter of King David, when her wicked, evil stepbrother raped her, she tore the ornamented robe in despair. In Job chapter 2, verse 12, when Job's friends saw what happened to him, they couldn't help it but tear their own clothes. In Ezra 9, 3, when Ezra saw the unfaithfulness of God's people, he torn the tunic and the cloak. Question, what is Jesus' message? When he sat in his local church and opened the Scripture to Isaiah 61 and says, this has been fulfilled in your ears, meaning this prophecy now fulfilled in me, the Messiah. I am the one of whom Isaiah 61 is speaking. And he, he says this to them. And first of all, they're kind of not very responsive, but then later he told them a story from the Old Testament that indicated that he came to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews, and that's when they took him into this precipice in Nazareth, and they want to throw him down. What do you mean the Messiah came to save Gentiles? It's only come to save Jews. But what is he saying? Why did he sit there and read that, 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 the, the chapter of Isaiah 61 and Luke chapter 4? Because he's telling every one of us that in him, the Christ, you can exchange your torn garment of sadness with his garment of gladness. That in him, the Christ, you can replace your garment of despair with his garment of praise. That in him, the Christ, you can throw away the garment of sorrow and cloak yourself with his healing and the garment of his power and forgiveness. In him, the Christ, you can cover up your nakedness of discouragement and despair with a beautiful garment of joy. Now, beloved… It is only in the lifting up of the name of Jesus that it evaporates the cloud of discouragement. I don't know of any other, any other way. It is when you move your lips in praise and worship and adoration on a daily basis that He moves His power and His strength and, 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 and His joy in you. It is when you fix your eyes on Jesus and Jesus, the praise of Jesus, 
Well, He changes your desires. He will change your relationships. He will change your perspective, and He will change your sensitivities. Can I get a witness? Well, if that's not enough, let me give you another reference from Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 28. Mark it down. I'm going to read it for you, but mark it down. I can tell you <laughs> that verse really, truly <laughs> is, 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 is a witness to me, and it's a, it, it's a story of my life. Here's how it goes. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the end of the earth, He will not grow tired or weary, and His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and He increases the power of the weak. Even youth will grow tired and weary, and young men will stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord… Can you say that with me? Those who hope in the Lord… Come on, I wanted to hear it. Come, come on. Mask or no mask? Just say, those who hope in the Lord. Come on, let's do it now together. Those who hope in the Lord. They renew strength. Hallelujah. They will soar on wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I tell folks, my most productive years were past 60. That's the absolute truth. That's why this verse is my verse. I have many verses that are my verse. Well, we want to prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. But I need to tell you a true story before as I conclude. It's a wonderful story. It's an incredible example to me, and I pray to you. Some of you already have known it, but it doesn't matter. Worth repeating. That's example of how the garment of praise can overwhelm the spirit of despair and discouragement every time. His name was George Frederick Handel. I'm sure you know the name. He was all alone in his room one day, feeling depressed, discouraged. Actually, he was feeling thoroughly and utterly dejected. He was despondent and he was weary. His soul was sick within him. You see, earlier, a few days earlier, his orchestra was thrown out on the street after rehearsal. The next day, the concert audience jeered him, and he convinced himself he is nothing but a failure. He is just utter failure. He felt there was nothing left for him but to leave London. And while he's in the middle of this dark mood, this dark mood of despair, 
There was a knock on the door. Interrupted his despair. A friend came with a manuscript for an oratorio. And he asked Handel, would he please write the music for it? Handel refused. He said, it's over. I'm done. But then he took a second look at it, and he saw the title, Messiah. Messiah. And Handel did love, praise the name of Jesus. He loved the praise of God. So he read it, and all of a sudden, he literally recovered because the spirit of praise began to cover him like a blanket from head to toes. And he immediately went to work three straight weeks without a break. And he came up with what we know today as Handel's Messiah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. It's okay, guys, your job is safe. (laughs) And thus, my beloved friends, the garment of despair was replaced by the garment of praise. Today, you and I and millions of others around the world can be blessed with that magnificent music, the so-called Handel's Messiah. And it was born out of a spirit of despair being replaced by the garment of praise. Beloved, would you listen to me? I'm about to finish, so I don't want to lose you in the last couple of seconds, okay? There is no telling how God can use you and you and you and you and every single person at the sound of my voice. Yes, you at any age, at any stage, at any condition, and in any place. He can use you. The question is, will you say, yes, Lord? Yes, Lord, I will take the garment of praise every day, have it cover me, and I will live the praise-filled life. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and prepare our hearts as we come to the Lord and to His table together. Father, I am so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for the spirit of encouragement. I'm so grateful that when we put on the garment of praise, there is no telling how mighty way in which you can use us. And Lord, I especially pray for that individual who might be discouraged right now, feeling a spirit of despondence. I pray for your word, your word, not my word, but your word will come and cover them, and they begin the life of praise, and they have the praise 
filled life. And as we are together in the spirit of prayer, whether you are seating or kneeling, would you join with me in confessing and preparing our heart so when we come to this table, we're coming to Him saying, Lord, renew your work in me. Now, if you're a person who has never committed your life to Jesus Christ, you can do it today. But until you are ready, you can wait. Together for those who know and love Jesus, let's join together. The words are on the screen as we confess in those ancient words. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against You in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we're truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. My beloved friends, the Lord instituted this table as a reminder that it was His blood that was shed on the cross that made it possible for us to call God Abba. It reminds us not just of the blood that was shed, but it reminds us that we today in the present rejoicing and thankful for that redemption, but also reminds us of the future when we all gather at the Merry Supper of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. And that is why the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians who were messing up with this Lord's table. He's reminding them of what it means. And in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, he said, The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. After supper, He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. And therefore, whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner without confession will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Just in case you're visiting with us and you have not been here, we've been doing this the second Sunday of every month since this, this is what I call it a COVID communion, so that nobody feels their conscience is troubled by the cup and the normal way in which we receive the Lord's Supper. And so, 
when you come forward and take one of these, you tip it upside down, and you open it. And there is the bread. Thank you for that blood, Lord, for body that was torn on the cross for me. And you lift up the other side, and there is the symbol of the body of the Lord Jesus, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your blood, Lord Jesus, washes all my sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's bless the Lord in song as these trays are going to be distributed upstairs, downstairs, and right here.